You're listening to the Brooke Snow Podcast, conversations to help you look forward with faith, faith in yourself, faith in God, and faith in your own mission and purpose. I'm your host, Brooke Snow. You have season two, episode 44, Clearing Away the False Self. Welcome to season two of the Brooke Snow Podcast. This season is breaking from tradition in an exciting way. After some lovely negotiation, I received permission from my publisher to publish the audio of my book, Living in Your True Identity, Discover, Embrace, and Develop Your Own Divine Nature, as podcast episodes. Right now, this is a tentative experiment, and these episodes may not always be here, so I encourage you to listen while you can. My book is some of my best work, and while I do love my regular podcasts, they really are a random selection of topics. The book, however, moves progressively, continually building upon a theme, and it leads you through a process. Each week, I'll release the next chapter. If you like what you hear, please consider purchasing the book for yourself or someone you know who could really benefit from this message. You can pick up a hard copy or Kindle version on Amazon, and I'll provide the link for you to do that in the show notes of this episode. Today, you have chapter four, Clearing Away the False Self. Clearing Away the False Self. If you don't like the way you're feeling, change the way you're thinking. These words still ring in my ears today. 20 years have passed since that long ago winter evening when my ruminating thoughts were finally convicted for causing depression. After this discovery, I carried a fascination that my thoughts had power to create my feelings. Unfortunately, beyond the inspirational message these words embody, I lacked the knowledge of how to make it practical. How do I change something so ingrained from incessant practice? It's one thing to simply pick a new thought in the moment, which is helpful, but what about all the times I am not even aware of my thoughts? Can I catch them in the act before they do damage? Can I program my mind to think something different? Can I really change how I feel? Turns out you can. Clearing tools. Today, my toolbox for clearing the false identity is packed full, and I eagerly add more tools when I find them. These tools are practical, and most importantly, they work. Use them whenever your false identity emerges. Some tools are fast acting, while others require a bit more time and focus to work on a deeper level. The beauty of having many to choose from lies in your ability to customize your prescription for what you need in the moment. Clearing tools remove the layers on top of your true self. These layers include labels, limiting beliefs, negative emotions, doubts, fears, resentments, and attachments that cover up who you really are. Each layer removed brings your true identity closer to the surface. After mentoring a student of mine for a few weeks, I loved how she described the new way she was feeling. I feel a spark inside myself. I feel my true self being found once again. Your true self is more than a spark. Your true self is full of light and truth. It's time to clear away the layers that stand in the way so she can fully shine. Here are 11 of my favorite tools to accomplish this. Changing what you say. Clearing tool number one the little black notebook. How do you clear the negative words out of your mind? Write them down. Sometimes thoughts will call out to you again and again until you turn and face them. 
When you give your thoughts life on paper, instead of life in your head, they will leave you. You want them outside of you, not inside. This clearing tool is simple and fast. Obtain a simple black throwaway notebook. A spiral bound 99 cent version found at the grocery store is a great option. Use the blank pages to jot down any negative thoughts that call out to you. It's a black journal for your dark thoughts. Hold nothing back and dictate the words exactly as they sound in your mind. Ugly, awful, and degrading as they may be. When you're done, rip the page out and shred it, crumple it up and throw it away. (laughs) I choose this tool when my thoughts are targeting my identity. The words that appear on this page often take a second person point of view. You are fill in the blank. You can't fill in the blank. The difference between first person I statements and second person you statements is important to note. All negative thoughts originate first from the adversary. It is upon repetition that we adopt these as our own beliefs and later change the statement to first person. When I can literally see you statements on the page before me, it is a powerful reminder that this is not who I am. Though I may hear these words in the voice of my mind, they are coming from Satan as an enticement to live in opposition to my true identity. You will experience an emotional release simply from getting the words out of your head. Don't be surprised when the words really do leave your mind. You gave them life on paper and not in your head. Clearing tool number two, write and burn. This clearing tool is deep and intense. When your negative feelings stem from a situation, relationship, or limiting belief, consider the write and burn tool. This takes a bit more time to complete, but is worth the added focus and allows all the associated emotion and limiting beliefs to surface and ultimately be cleared from your body on every level. Here are the guidelines. Number one, allow yourself a good amount of time, about 15 to 30 minutes. Two, decide to complete this exercise in one sitting. Do not let this remain unfinished. You may have deeply rooted emotions and thoughts arise that you feel are so potent you think that surely you'll be stuck writing forever. This is a false belief. Decide to complete this clearing tool in one sitting and you will. Three, pray first. Ask God to release the limiting beliefs and emotions from you on every level, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Four, begin with the prompt, when I think about blank, I feel blank. Five, write out all thoughts and feelings that come up word for word with no censorship. Six, at some point you will feel a shift from darkness to light. Your words will change and your feelings will change. You'll know when you're done writing. Seven, Pray another prayer of gratitude. Eight, burn or discard your writing. It's done and gone forever. Changing what you see. Clearing tool number three, look somewhere new. Come into my office, sisters, my mission president urged with kindness. We had stopped by to pick up our mail, but at a glance, 
the emotional burdens we were carrying were apparent in our demeanor. He could see our heavy shoulders and fallen countenances. We were struggling as a companionship to stay positive and have faith in our own ability as missionaries. We eagerly followed his gesture towards his open door, leading to his private office, and sat down in relief. We ached for counsel. How can we find our way out of being stuck? He listened briefly to our story of struggle before quickly identifying the root of our problem, our thoughts, and in particular, the way we see. I'm not a good teacher, my companion complained. I can't remember everything I'm supposed to say, she muttered near tears. The people we teach aren't ready to make changes in their lives, I added later, piling up the evidence of all things going wrong in our life. Whether it was the way we saw ourselves or the people around us, we had very clear images of limitation. I can't. We can't. They won't. We described everything in drab detail and waited for his lightning bolt of revelation that would zap our lives back to full color. What do you do when a bad thought comes to you? He asked me. I stumbled, surprised by his question. What did this have to do with our problems? Did he think I had impure thoughts? Um, sing a hymn, I offered up as a common suggestion I had heard through my childhood. He smiled. That is a good and useful tool, he admitted. Let me tell you what I do. I sat up in alert attention. More than the counsel that awaited, I was intrigued that this spiritual giant of a man had just admitted to having bad thoughts. I had secretly hoped that once a person had reached his or her level of spiritual maturity, that such snares wouldn't reach up to him or her. My disappointment at the idea of living the rest of my life with the forces of opposition always at hand faded into a sense of relief that he was just like me human. There was hope for me yet. When a bad thought comes to me, he stated, I look somewhere new. He saw our confused faces and expounded in detail. I change my focus. Literally, I look at the window or I look at the picture on the wall or I look at the door handle or the tree across the street. He said, matter of factly, your mind can't continue to hold the thought or image when you change your focus. Just watch. If you dwell on a thought, your eye is still and likely unfocused. But change your focus and look somewhere new, and the thought vanishes. If it comes back, repeat the process. I practiced this tool with great curiosity. With a laugh of amazement, I realized that it worked. Sometimes I'd end up refocusing around the room in several different places, but always with each refocus, my mind instantly cleared until I allowed a new thought to enter. Use this tool to redirect unwanted thoughts as they enter your mind. It's fast and especially useful in moments that you're in public or unable to spend time writing anything down. Clearing tool number four, get grounded in nature. Mother nature's remedy. Have you ever felt the transformation of being in a state of stress, anxiety, anger, or sadness, and have it all completely melt away when you spend time in nature? Ruminating on thoughts and feelings brings imbalance to your body because you are living too much inside your head. Going for a walk or run outside, laying in the grass, sitting next to a stream, hiking through a forest, or even sitting in a city park will quickly rebalance the way you feel. You connect your body back to the earth. This grounding effect is powerful 
and necessary to your own spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical health. Those who live in extreme weather conditions of blistering hot summers, weeks of rain and cloud cover, or frigid cold winters know the challenge of finding time to be in nature when nature seems quite uninviting. After listening to a study performed on the cognitive benefits of nature, I laughed out loud. The first study compared the cognitive performance of a group of people asked to spend 30 minutes outdoors every day to a control group who did not. As expected, the nature group scored much higher. But just to be sure that it really was the effect of nature and not just the happy feelings that come from being outside in a pleasant environment that influenced the results, the researchers conducted the same study in the dead of winter in northern Maine and asked participants to spend 30 minutes outside every day in the freezing cold. They too outperformed the control group who did not spend time outside. Turns out nature still grounds us even if conditions aren't perfect. Just so happened that I heard this study in midwinter where my hometown regularly dips below freezing temperatures for weeks or even months at a time. I usually avoid time outside from December to February and wait till it's pleasant enough to experience those happy feelings that were suspect in swaying the study. Curiosity led me days later to bundle up in my long red down feather coat with my triple layer clothing strategy of warmth and head outside in the dark of night. Simply walked the streets of my neighborhood for 45 minutes. My eyes and nose, the only part of me exposed to the icy night air. My brisk walk helped keep my body temperature high enough to make the excursion bearable. <laughs> and before long, I found out that happy feelings can be experienced even when the earth is frozen. I returned home feeling like a new woman and vowed to spend more time outside even when the rest of the world around me is hunkering safely inside. I may not go out every day during the winter, but I learned very quickly that it's still an option for those days I really need the extra help of getting out of my head. Regardless if the weather is dreamy or forbidding, I always return home feeling more myself, the real me, the true me. I'm no longer stuck in my head, but reconnected to the earth that is made of the same matter as my body and created by the same hand. In the words of God himself, yea, all things which come of the earth in the season thereof are made for the benefit and the use of man, both to please the eye and to gladden the heart. Yea, for food and for raiment, for taste and for smell, to strengthen the body and to enliven the soul. Doctrine and Covenants, section 59, verses 18 through 19. Clearing tool number five, become the observer. Victor Frankl states, between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. The first step to changing your life is awareness. When you find yourself closing up or separating yourself, become the observer. Becoming the observer is all about the art of noticing. Notice what your body is doing. Notice what your mind is thinking. Notice how you are seeing and simply observe it as if it were all flowing past you. For example, when I am feeling stress and annoyance from the high energy demands of my children, 
I can lose my temper and easily get frustrated if I am not conscious of my actions. If I were experiencing these feelings and chose to become the observer in these moments, I would think to myself, wow, Brooke, you are feeling upset. Do you see how your chest is tight and your fists are clenched? Do you notice that you're actually holding your breath right now? It's so interesting. Or what if I'm scrolling through social media and I find myself triggered by a friend's post? I start to feel jealousy and compare myself to her, believing I am less than enough. If I become the observer in this moment, then I will think, Brooke, it's so interesting that you're getting triggered right now. Look at that. You feel jealous. How does the jealousy feel? Feel it. Michael Singer in his book, The Untethered Soul, describes it this way. It's not just about letting go of thoughts and emotions. It's actually about letting go of the pull that the energy itself has on your consciousness. It sees all of this without thinking about it. It simply watches. All the energies that it watches will just come and go unless you choose your center of consciousness and go with them. Don't think you'd be free if you just didn't have these kinds of feelings. It's not true. If you can be free even though you're having these kinds of feelings, then you're really free because there will always be something. Close quote. When you become the observer, you watch your feelings and you don't go with them. You can feel anger, but you don't become angry. You can feel annoyed, but you don't need to become annoyed. You can feel jealousy, but you don't need to become jealous. You can feel shame, but you don't need to become ashamed. The trick to having the power to feel your thoughts and feelings without becoming them is to observe them. Watch the physical reaction your body goes through. Watch the thoughts that come to your mind. Allow yourself to fully feel the emotions that rise. As you do, you'll notice that it passes just like a wave. Why? Because your heart remained open. By allowing yourself to fully feel the emotions, they pass on through without you going with them. Fear is the number one reason we close up. We are afraid of the pain of negative emotions. So in order to protect ourselves from the pain, we close up. Pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. You will feel pain. If you allow yourself to feel the discomfort, to truly feel it, lean into it, watch it and observe it, you will be surprised at how quickly it passes. Suffering comes when you close up and embody the very emotions you're fighting to suppress. Becoming the observer does not mean that you need to psychoanalyze everything. You don't need to figure out why you felt these feelings or why you got triggered. As well-intentioned as you may be, now is not the time. Becoming the observer is just watching. That's it. For it is in this objectivity that you allow the emotions to flow through you and let them go. The most powerful line for me in The Untethered Soul is when Michael Singer says, nothing ever is worth closing your heart over. I'll say it again. Nothing ever is worth 
closing your heart over. Your false identity will disagree vehemently. Your true identity knows that this is one of the most important truths you can ever learn. Changing how you feel. Clearing tool number six, deep breathing. I need your verbal consent to perform this procedure. This is a matter of life or death. Do I have your permission? His voice was unfamiliar to me, but his tone of assertive urgency quickly conveyed the mortal danger of my situation. I managed a tiny nod, eyes still shut, and quickly focused back on breathing. Inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale. Someone draped a cover over my face and the procedure began. In June, 2014, 12 hours after having a baby, my body began to seizure with the first stage of nine pulmonary embolisms, blood clots in my lungs. In such a state, I was aware of nothing else but the frantic need to breathe, a process I rarely think about day to day. Yet in these moments, breath became a sacred connection to preserving my life on earth. Even with the assistance of 20 liters of oxygen blasting like a fire hose through a mask covering my mouth and nose, breath seemed to be quickly slipping away in ever-increasing restriction. I was transported from the hospital to an ambulance destined to drive through the canyon to the next town. A rare summer rainstorm had flared suddenly, prohibiting the lifelight helicopter from reaching my current location. From there, I would fly to the next hospital, which was better equipped to try to save my life. The ride was bumpy and uncomfortable, but nothing mattered except those 20 liters of oxygen. When we finally emerged through the canyon to the next town, there was a beautiful interlude from the ambulance to the helicopter where my body was exposed to the cool night air and the fresh rain falling all around. It felt so peaceful and comforting to have a moment outside the confines of sterile walls. Had I the ability to breathe freely, I would have taken in a brilliant breath. My skin breathed for me, soaking in the freshness of the night and the life-giving energy of the rain. Voices of urgency hovered above me while cramming my stretcher into a tiny helicopter. My feet pressed tightly against the wall, making me feel too tall for the short space. Hands quickly moved to change over my oxygen to the helicopter supply. She needs 20 liters, the EMT commanded. The chopper only has 15, the pilot fired back. She needs 20, the EMT stated in panic. My heart sank. Breathing was about to get far more difficult. The EMT placed the new oxygen mask on my face, and instantly I felt the reduction in air supply, each breath fighting to receive enough to survive. I gasped. My body was now on high alert. Please let me breathe. Please give me air. Stay with us, Brooke, I heard the attendant say at my noticeable fall in responsiveness. She needs more air. We don't have it. I kept on focusing on my breathing. Inhale. Exhale. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Keep breathing, Brooke. Stay with us, the voice said again. We're losing her. We're losing her, the voice repeated in urgency. Reality settled in. I knew in that moment there simply wasn't enough. I could not live if I could not breathe. In a sudden flash, a phrase manifested into my mind with radiant clarity. Christ is the breath of life. 
I clung to these words, a lifeline and my last hope of survival. What began as words boldly declared to my spirit became more powerful as I began to repeat them in my mind with every gasping breath. Christ is the breath of life. Inhale. Christ is the breath of life. Exhale. Over and over again with devoted focus and a prayerful heart. Moments passed. Christ is the breath of life. Inhale. Christ is the breath of life. Exhale. Christ is the breath of life. Inhale. Christ is the breath of life. Exhale. She's stabilizing the EMT, said a few minutes later. I can't believe it. In an evanescent moment, I felt the breath of life fill my body. God had restored my life. I was going to live. The hand of God coupled with the powerful tool of intentional breathing saved my life on that stormy June night, and it has continued to save me ever since. In the years following this experience, I have felt compelled to more fully understand the power of breath, especially breath with mantra, a repeated phrase or word. Yoga and meditation have become invaluable tools for me to deliberately increase the flow in my body, and to reconnect my body to the spirit of my true self. Even in its simplest form, breath holds power to cleanse and restore. Deep breathing cleanses the body of toxins, opens up your organs, relaxes your muscles, processes negative emotions, stabilizes your heart rate, and brings revitalizing energy to your body and your mind. It is no wonder that such a powerful tool is so readily used throughout the world in every culture and many practices. It is the gateway of life. It is free and you can use it at any moment. So how do you use it to clear away the false self? Here are a few of my favorite variations. Deep inhales and exhales through the nose. At first, your lung capacity may be limited, especially if you find yourself experiencing a moment of closure from negative thoughts or emotions. Remember, your capacity will increase with each repetition. Close your eyes and continue to breathe deep inhales and exhales through your nose. A full minute or two of deep breathing can completely turn your day around and restore you to your true identity. Deep breathing colors. With eyes closed, breathe deep through your nose. On the inhale, visualize a soothing color or pure white light filling up your body. On the exhale, breathe out the color of thoughts or feelings you desire to leave you. Maybe it's murky or black or red. Continue to inhale your soothing color and exhale your toxin color for one to two minutes. Deep breathing words. With eyes closed, breathe deeply through your nose. On the inhale, pick a word or emotion that you desire to inhabit your body. Peace, love, calmness. On the exhale, pick a word or emotion you desire to leave your body. Anger, embarrassment, sadness. Clearing tool number seven, move your body, music, dance, and exercise. Exercise has long been touted as an excellent source to release endorphins and de-stress the body. 
This is a common clearing tool used by many who go for a run, walk, bike, or hit the gym in effort to shake off stress and negative emotions that block us from feeling like our true selves. Moving your body can be a tool used in infinite ways and need not take a huge block of time or special equipment. In our house, four o'clock usually warrants a much needed dance party as we can all be a bit irritable, tired, and hungry in that final stretch before dinner. One afternoon, in a moment of near craziness, I grabbed the portable speaker and headed outside to our backyard. To the amazement of my kids, I turned the volume full blast on an energetic song which I put on repeat and clambered onto the trampoline. For the next 20 minutes, we all jumped like animals and belted the chorus like fanatic groupies. My kids were ecstatic at the fun while I clung to the very real need to pump out all my stress and impatience. Quickly abandoned were the bickering and boiling tempers. To this day, It's Gonna Be Okay by the Piano Guys is requested more than any other song as we all remember the memory of that extraordinary afternoon and more so the incredible elation we experienced in moving our bodies together. Never underestimate the power of a few minutes moving vigorously, especially when paired with uplifting music. Clearing tool number eight, emotional freedom technique. Emotional freedom technique is a simple energy tool performed by firmly tapping with three fingers of one hand along the meridian acupuncture points of your body. The meridian points include the top of your head, brow, side of your eye, under your eye, under your nose, your chin, your collarbone, and under your arm. There are many wonderful YouTube videos that teach the basics, and this tool is quickly learned and quickly executed to clear trapped emotions and limiting beliefs. I like to imagine that the tapping breaks up the emotion into tiny pieces that can then more easily process through the body and clear. I love having this tool in my toolbox, and I use it often. For a great resource on EFT, visit www.thetappingsolution.com. I use this tool regularly on myself and with my kids when they are in a state of heightened emotion or fear. It physiologically calms the body very quickly. As much as I request my kids to take a deep inhale when they are crying and nearly hyperventilating in intense emotion, getting a deep breath out of them can sometimes feel impossible to manage. Tapping on these energy points quickly takes the intensity down to a manageable place. EFT not only has the ability to clear the physical and emotional symptoms of trapped emotions, but also is a powerful tool for clearing limiting beliefs on a mental and spiritual level. Two years after my pulmonary embolisms, I began experiencing intense panic attacks, nightmares, flashbacks, and PTSD. The very sight of a helicopter would transport me back in time and my body would go into a state of panic. EFT tapping was highly effective for clearing my PTSD. And gratefully, I can now retell my story and feel only the positive emotions from such a powerful experience and not the many trapped emotions that used to surface upon recall. The ability to now share my experience from a place of wholeness allows me to fully live in my true identity. I can act for myself rather than be acted upon from the emotions and trauma of my past. Clearing tool number nine, forgiveness. 
Several years ago, in the glow of a campfire, I listened to this profound story. Two monks were traveling to the top of a mountain. Along the way, they encountered a stream where an old woman was standing on the bank. Carry me across, she eagerly demanded, for I cannot cross on my own. The wise monk lifted her upon his back and waded into the water. He gently carried her for several minutes before reaching the other side. Put me down, the woman commanded, and the wise monk gently let her down. Do you have any food? She asked. I'm hungry. The monk opened his sack and generously took out two thick slices of bread and some cheese and gave it to the woman before continuing on his way. As the two monks traveled the mountain road, the younger monk steamed inside. How could that woman be so rude? He thought. She was so ungrateful. She'd not even thank my friend for carrying her through the water and giving her of his food. These thoughts plagued him for several hours as he followed behind his friend, who walked onward in silence. No longer able to stay quiet, he voiced his troubled thoughts aloud. The wise monk listened quietly, then turned to his young friend and said, I put the woman down several hours ago. Why are you still carrying her? This wasn't the ending I was expecting. I had felt many of the same accusations as the young monk. Yet in a profound and simple statement, the wise monk acknowledged offensive things do happen in life, but we lighten our load when we choose to no longer carry them. Desmond Tutu writes in The Book of Forgiveness, Our nature is goodness. Yes, we do much that is bad, but our essential nature is good. If it were not, then we'd not be shocked and dismayed when we harm one another. When someone does something ghastly, it makes the news because it is the exception to the rule. We live surrounded by so much love, kindness, and trust that we forget it is remarkable. Forgiveness is the way we return what has been taken from us and restore the love and kindness and trust that has been lost. With each act of forgiveness, whether small or great, we move toward wholeness. Close quote. Moving toward wholeness is moving toward your own divine nature. Harboring resentment, hurt, and pain against another veils your true identity. Forgiveness reconnects you to your true self and restores your ability to see the true identity in others. Seek for ways to free yourself from caring those who have hurt you. Many of the tools we have outlined here can assist in the practice of forgiveness. In the simplest form, forgiveness involves the same three elements of creation, how we see, say, and feel toward another person. To forgive, we must see others differently, speak differently, and feel differently. In chapter 10, we will learn how to see others in their true identity. For when we see the truth in others, we will see the truth in ourselves. For we are all connected in our humanity. Clearing tool number 10, the redeeming and enabling power of Jesus Christ. Eustace Scrub is a character in the C.S. Lewis novel, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Eustace is a spoiled, selfish boy who finds himself in possession of a large fortune. Seduced by the thoughts of a life of comfort and luxury, he falls asleep with his treasure. When he wakes, Eustace discovers he is no longer the boy he was before. 
He had turned into a dragon while he was asleep, sleeping on a dragon's hoard with greedy dragonish thoughts in his heart. He had become a dragon himself. Eustace spends several days in a miserable struggle. How can he turn into a boy again? Finally, in his most desperate moment of despair, he begins to peel off the dragon's skin. Impassioned by the thoughts of freeing himself from his captivity, he peels off layer upon layer of skin. But in his exhausted dismay, he discovers it is all in vain. He is still a dragon. You will have to let me undress you, says Aslan the lion. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty near desperate now. So I just lay flat down on my back to let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. When he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, and there was I, as smooth and soft as a peeled switch, and smaller than I had been. Then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that much, for I was very tender underneath, now that I'd no skin on, and threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious, and as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm, and then I saw why. I'd turned into a boy again. After a bit, the lion took me out and dressed me in new clothes. Close quote. The false identity, indeed, can feel like dragon skin, a beastly facade of who you really are. Fully shedding the skin is ultimately an act of grace from Jesus Christ. It is he that holds the power to save you from an eternity as a dragon and to redeem you to your divine nature. For the natural man is an enemy to God and has been from the fall of Adam and will be forever and ever unless he yields to the enticings of the Holy Spirit and putteth off the natural man and becometh a saint through the atonement of Christ the Lord. Mosiah 3.19 Every tool for clearing the false identity is empowered by the redeeming power of Jesus Christ. Try as you may to shed your dragon skin relying upon your own efforts. It is his power that lasts and reaches to the very depths of your heart. Even after you finally break free, the life ahead requires a close friendship to your Redeemer to continually free you again and again, as it requires practice to stay in and develop your divine nature. As such, I am comforted by the following words in the conclusion of Eustace's story. It would be nice and fairly nearly true to say that from that time forth, Eustace was a different boy. To be strictly accurate, he began to be a different boy. He had relapses. There were still many days when he could be very tiresome, but most of those I shall not notice. The cure had begun. Close quote. The Redeeming and Enabling Power of Christ's Atonement Elder David A. Bednar taught that the atonement of Jesus Christ embodies both a redeeming power and an enabling power. The redeeming power of the atonement redeems us from our false identity, and the enabling power enables us to develop into our true identity. Or as Elder Bednar says, the redeeming and enabling power of the atonement are connected and complementary. 
They both need to be operational during all phases of the journey of life. And it is eternally important for all of us to recognize that both of these essential elements of the journey of mortality, both putting off the natural man and becoming a saint, both overcoming bad and becoming good are accomplished through the power of the atonement. Close quote. King Benjamin gives a remarkable map to this process. For the natural man is an enemy to God and has been from the fall of Adam and will be forever and ever unless he yields to the enticings of the Holy Spirit and putteth off the natural man and becometh a saint through the atonement of Christ the Lord. Mosiah 3.19 Let's break down his words. For the natural man is an enemy to God. This natural man identity is an enemy to God because it is false. It is not who God created you to be and has been from the fall of Adam and will be forever and ever. Just as we saw in chapter two, the influence of Satan creates a false identity of who we really are. He is allowed to tempt us and try us. He is allowed to say things to our mind to persuade us to believe we are not a divine son or daughter of God. When Moses had his divine vision of the creation of the world, and speaks with God face to face, the Lord uses this sacred moment to also instruct Moses in his identity. He addresses him in these words, Moses, thou art my son. Moses 1.4 Moses feels the glory of God upon him and is further told, I have a work for thee, my son. Verse 6. Not only does the Lord reveal to Moses his true identity as a son of God, but he also instructs him in his individual mission upon the earth. Afterwards, Satan appears to Moses. He cunningly and immediately targets Moses' identity through repeatedly referring to him as Moses, son of man. Moses 1.12 Just as he did with Adam and Eve, Satan presents a false identity in opposition to the true identity of Moses. And he likewise presents a false identity in opposition to each of us. This is Satan's pattern, and it will always be so. Unless he yields to the enticings of the Holy Spirit. Thankfully, Satan is not the only one who speaks to our mind and heart to tell us who we are. We are also enticed with words of truth from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks of our divine nature, calling us sons and daughters of God. The Holy Spirit speaks of our own unique mission and work we are to accomplish here upon the earth. Yet we cannot develop our true identity unless we yield to Him. We must listen and obey the words that come from the Holy Spirit to our soul. Learning to discern between these two different voices is imperative to our success. Knowing that God gives us weakness, see Ether 12, 27, can sometimes feel confusing to understand what voice is speaking truth. I've long appreciated the words of my friend, Louis Monday, who said, The Lord does not tell us what we are not, but what we are. He shows us how far we have come, and although he also shows us how far we have to go and what we can improve, 
That comes with a feeling of hope, a desire to improve, and a feeling of achievability. The enabling power of the atonement of Jesus Christ orients us to who we are. Satan orients us to who we are not. Despite the gap that exists between where we are now and where we hope to be, the enticings of the Holy Spirit are always filled with hope, faith, love, and peace. Learning to discern these influences, it is important to recall that the voice we feed and heed is the voice that will be the strongest. Just like the two wolves, as we learn obedience to the Holy Spirit, the voice of God grows clearer and stronger in our life. Clearing tool number 11, call upon God and command Satan to depart. Putteth off the natural man. Webster's 1828 dictionary defines put off as to degrade, to deprive of authority, power, or place, to confute, to silence. When we put off the false identity of the natural man, we deprive Satan of authority, power, and place in our life. We silence the words and influence he has upon our nature. We take back our agency and act for ourselves instead of being acted upon. Though we are each endowed with the gift of agency, the use of agency is limited or liberated according to our choices. Lehi taught, Wherefore men are free according to the flesh. They are free to choose liberty and eternal life through the great mediator of all men, or to choose captivity and death according to the captivity and power of the devil. For he seeketh that all men might be miserable like unto himself. 2 Nephi 2.27 The natural man identity is bondage to who you really are. We feel this bondage when we sin and can be freed through repentance and the redeeming power of the atonement of Christ. We can also feel this bondage when Satan is in our presence. When Joseph Smith went to the grove to pray, he describes his encounter with Satan in these words. I kneeled down and began to offer up the desires of my heart to God. I had scarcely done so when immediately I was seized upon by some power which entirely overcame me and had such an astonishing influence over me as to bind my tongue so that I could not speak. Thick darkness gathered around me, and it seemed to me for a time as if I were doomed to sudden destruction. Joseph Smith History 1.15 There are times in our lives, even when we are acting in righteous obedience, that we feel the power and influence of the adversary binding us. From the light of our true identity. We can feel helpless and bound. Joseph shows us how to put off the natural man in these moments. He continues saying, but exerting all my powers to call upon God to deliver me out of the power of this enemy which had seized upon me. And at that very moment when I was ready to sink into despair and abandon myself to destruction, not to the imaginary ruin, but to the power of some actual being from the unseen world who had such marvelous power as I had never before felt in any being. 
just at this moment of great alarm, I saw a pillar of light exactly over my head, above the brightness of the sun, which descended gradually until it fell upon me. No sooner appeared that I found myself delivered from the enemy, which held me bound. Joseph Smith History 1, 16 through 17. Moses, too, when confronted by Satan, needed to find a way to be delivered. Despite Satan's lies to Moses regarding his identity, Moses recognizes the difference between how it feels to be in the glory of God's presence and in the presence of Satan. He says, His glory has been upon me, wherefore I can judge between him and thee. Depart hence, Satan. And now when Moses had said these words, Satan cried with a loud voice and ranted upon the earth and commanded, saying, I am the only begotten. Worship me. And it came to pass that Moses began to fear exceedingly. And as he began to fear, he saw the bitterness of hell. Nevertheless, calling upon God, he received strength and he commanded, saying, Depart from me, Satan, for this one God only will I worship which is the God of glory. And now Satan began to tremble and the earth shook and Moses received strength and called upon God saying, in the name of the only begotten, depart hence, Satan. And it came to pass that Satan cried with a loud voice, with weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, and he departed hence, even from the presence of Moses, that he beheld him not. Moses 1, 18 through 22. Days ago, I had the impression that I needed to write more about Satan in my book. My first draft scarcely mentioned him, and yet he is the source of the false identity. Satan has greater power when he remains anonymous. Naming him, convicting him for his crimes, and identifying him as the source of our false identity brings us great freedom. Doing this shines a light into the darkness. Like Moses, we begin to see the difference between the glory of who God created us to be and the identity Satan presents with no glory. No sooner had I resolved to revise my book that I suddenly came under a great depression. For a whole day, I felt a dark shadow hovering upon me. I went about my day, which included a wonderful family adventure together. But despite the event, I felt a deep sadness and inability to function in my true identity of happiness and joy. By the end of the day, I finally connected the dots and I asked my husband for a priesthood blessing to help free me from this bondage. There is power in calling upon God for deliverance. There is power in commanding Satan to depart in the name of Jesus Christ. This is a very real application of putting off the natural man and personifying the infinite power of the atonement of Jesus Christ. And becometh a saint through the atonement of Christ the Lord. I love the beauty of this imagery. Becoming a saint requires the highest level of devotion and development. It is preparatory to fully realize who you are created to become. This supreme development is only possible 
through the atonement of Jesus Christ. Putting off the natural man is only possible through the atonement of Jesus Christ. Both the redeeming and enabling powers of the Savior work together in magnificence to free us from all that is false and transform us into gods and goddesses. Truly, he created us in his own image to ultimately become as he is. See Genesis 1.26. Becoming a saint is the process of continually putting off the natural man and continually learning to yield to the Holy Spirit. You must be redeemed over and over again from your sins and enabled continually to develop the Christ-like character and attributes that are within, for this is who you really are. This is your true identity. Journal questions. Number one, do you have your own clearing tool you use for negative thoughts and emotions? What is it? Number two, what new tool do you think would be most helpful for you to try? I hope you enjoyed chapter four, clearing away the false self from my book, living in your true identity, discover, embrace, and develop your own divine nature. I know this chapter is longer than the others because I filled it with 11 tools to clear away the false self. If you'd like to have an easier way to reference these tools quickly and easily, please consider buying a hard copy or Kindle version to have on hand. I use these tools consistently for myself and with my kids and have found them to be invaluable in helping me get back to who I really am in my true self. It is absolutely unnecessary for us to have to suffer the effects of the false self for any moment longer than needs be. You can pick up a hard copy or Kindle version on Amazon, and I'll provide a link for you to do that in the show notes of this episode. Thank you so much for listening.